0: Well, good morning. Good morning. All right. Uh, we are blessed, aren't we? God is good. Do I, uh, I, you ever just stop and just think about the goodness of God to you uh, this morning? Uh, just, just think about the fact that God conceived of you. That, that in his mind, uh, he thought this was a worthwhile being to create and formed you together, gave you existence, and, and brought you life. And that He put you in this place. You get to live in Alaska, whether you like it or not. It's good for you. And uh, uh, I think we're uniquely blessed to be able to, to see what our, 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 our God, our Creator God, has made. Uh, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your sins have been forgiven you. And you have a new life. And you have power for living that the world does not possess. Uh, to live the kind of life that Christ intended for you. Uh, you're, here, you're here this morning. Uh, you had the strength and the capacity, even though you're at second service, not first, to get in your car and come here and worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we do so without any fear. We do so in freedom. Uh, we have the Word of God in our own language. Uh, we can pick our translation and color of Bible. Uh, we are so blessed. And the reason we come together on Sundays... Uh, is is to praise and worship God who has made all of these things possible. It's for Him. It's not primarily about you. It's about the Lord. We're here to worship Him because He's been good. And whether we can say that easily because of the circumstances of our life or if even if those words come out with some difficulty, God is good all the time, whether it looks like it or not. Let's just pray and give Him thanks and ask for His assistance as we look at the Word this morning. Father, we are blessed uh, whether we pause and acknowledge it or not. You are good. You're good all the time. Uh, Father, if we were to stop and give careful thought to every detail of our lives, the fact that we can uh, simply breathe and have existence and that we were conceived of in your mind and and given life, uh, we ought to just be blown away. Lord, I know there are people here this morning with difficulties, with challenges, distractions and heartache and, and things that are not the way they wish they are. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would minister to them and give them good and, and wholesome things to think about, that they would be able to set their mind on those and to worship you, a good God, who loves them in spite of all of the ups and downs. Father, as we look at Joseph's life this morning. May you speak powerfully to us through your word for your own glory and for our good. Uh, May we lay our lives um, on the altar, so to speak, to be changed and transformed uh, into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. And may Joseph be a good model and example to us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I have a quote for you, for those of you who love quizzes. Pop quiz here. and see if you can figure out who has said this. Okay? Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, Give him power. We'll say it again. Some of you are thinking, you've heard it before, you just can't remember the name of whomever said it. Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Who said that beside me? I'm hearing nothing. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. Uh, I was thinking about Abraham Lincoln. Uh, This past week, as I was preparing for the message this morning, particularly as I was looking at the life of Joseph, uh, Abraham was a fascinating man, 16th president of the United States, incredible guy, uh, certainly not perfect, uh, but a remarkable leader. And he had a remarkable ascent to leadership that actually went through lots of adversity. A man of real humble beginnings, was basically self-educated, learning by reading borrowed books, uh, failed in many of his political endeavors uh, before finally succeeding in becoming one of our most important presidents ever. Pretty amazing individual. And I think this quote from him is uh, outstanding, that all men can stand adversity. But testing your character really comes when a person is given power. And, and we really see that Joseph is one of those kinds of guys. A guy that through his life went through adversity after adversity and rose to position of power again and again and again. Uh, and ultimately we find that he was in God's training school of leadership building up character, and testing him through adversity to make him the man that God wanted him to be and to put him in the position that God would have him serve from. Uh, Joseph is just one of those uh, kinds of guys. And so you can see from the title this morning. You can't keep a God man down. No, that's not a typo. That's the point. Uh, uh, we can see from Joseph's life early on and and. and uh, persistently throughout this passage that he was a man who was marked by the presence of God and God gave him success in whatever he did. And he went through adversity after adversity and finally ascended to the position of prominence that God had for him. But he had a lot to go through first. So we're going to look at his life uh, and kind of see how, uh, how he went through some of these things. So first thing we would pull out, we're in Genesis 39, uh, starting in uh, verse 1 here. And the first thing we're going to see is this, that he became a successful servant. Remember, some bad circumstances to his life. He had been, he had been faithful, a faithful son. He had uh, re- replied to his dad's wishes and went and checked up on the brothers as they were in the field and observed their working. And he brought back, he faithfully brought back a report which happened to be bad on their part. They were performing badly. And, and he was honest and upfront with his dad and told him what the case was. And uh, that act and his, uh, uh, the fact that he had uh, these dreams that, that not everybody else liked got him thrown in prison, faithful guy, thrown in prison, or basically uh, sold into slavery, rather. Uh, But that didn't keep him down. And we're going to find here in these first few verses that he actually becomes a successful servant. Verse 1, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. And so right, right off the bat here, we see very clearly that the real key to Joseph's success was the fact that God was present with him. Uh, we're, we're told, in fact, four times, this phrase is repeated, that the Lord was with Joseph here in, chapter, or in verses 2 and 3, and then again in verses 21 and 23 towards the end. And I don't know about you, but for me, this just begs the question, what does it mean that God was with him? It might sound simple enough, but I'm really perplexed by that. I want to know if that's something that we can avail ourselves of. Is there a way to, to get sort of this special presence of the Lord for us? How do we capture that? I'm consulting about 12 different commentaries as we go through the book of Genesis. And like none of them has anything to say or unpack regarding this phrase, which I find very unsatisfying. Uh it's just sort of left to be as uh, obvious as a plain reading that the Lord was with him. Uh, and so I have to admit to you that I, I don't have as good an explanation of this as I would like. I find simply the, the phrase itself a little bit uh, unsatisfying. But I think that you and I can all probably say that at one time or another in our lives, we've observed somebody, a man or a woman, uh, that that's, this seemed to be true of. It just seemed as though God's hand was upon their life that what they did succeeded, that their best efforts were matched with an empowerment of God that seemed to bring about uh, uh, some kind of an exponential effect uh, even for their faithful efforts. Uh, we know it when we see it. And you would probably have all observed somebody like this. And in fact, Joseph was one of these kinds of guys. Again, it wasn't just his hard work, it wasn't just his skill, it wasn't just his character uh, it was these things combined with some supernatural empowerment of the Lord that everything he did he succeeded in. He had the mightest touch he was blessed, and God even blessed his employer, if you will, Potiphar, through all of uh, all of joseph 's dealings um, again I, I think even though we we might not have a clear uh, understanding of how we 're to capture this for our own lives or avail ourselves of it, uh, the teaching of god 's word is simply that we have a part to play in this. That God may supernaturally choose to bless our efforts. Uh, he, may cho- he may choose to do that. But regardless of whether he does or he doesn't, we have, a specific, we have specific instructions on how we are to conduct ourselves in life so that God might honor us and honor himself uh, through blessing. Uh, Proverbs specifically uh, talks a lot about this, that we have a role to play. What's fascinating to me about this phenomenon that occurs here Uh, where God seems to magnify his efforts, uh, is that Potiphar recognizes it. And he doesn't just say, wow, you're wildly successful in whatever you do. That's great. I'm going to give you more. He says, wow, God's hand is upon you. God is with you. He acknowledges not just that Joseph is good, but that he is blessed by God. He acknowledges that God is uh, the force behind this success. And I don't know about for you, but for me that is uh, a powerful reminder of the opportunity and the witness that you and I have in our places of employment. There is an observing world looking at our work, our attitude, that which we produce, how we conduct ourselves, how we relate with other people. And, And I think this passage just reminds us again that our work is absolutely a mission field. An incredible opportunity. I don't know how you see or how you think about your work. Maybe you uh, don't, don't like it so much. Uh, uh, probably feel like you're overworked and underpaid like most people do. Uh, maybe you don't particularly care for some of the people that you work with. Um, but I would challenge you to consider the atmosphere in which you work uh, with a different heart and a different tenor. And to see it as a mission field. A place where you have an opportunity to influence people by your character and by your life. And I've said this before many times, but I absolutely believe that Christians should make the best employees on the earth. Bar none. I think we should be the most desirable workforce out there. I think uh, headhunters for corporations and those that are looking to hire should be banging on the doors of the church saying, do you have any Christians that are looking for employment? Because we want their character and their integrity and their work ethic. Uh, After all, we're working not just for an earthly master, but for a heavenly one. Our work is done as unto the Lord. What if everything you did was done as unto the Lord to meet with his approval? That's what we're to do. And I I think that ought to make us the most desirable workforce uh, in the entire world. Well, we also see that Joseph's key contribution... Uh, to this uh, successful uh, life that he has going is not just God's presence, but in fact his part, what he contributed was faithfulness. And this was also a, a key factor. Uh, faithfulness I, I find to be one of the most uh, just admirable qualities uh, in any individual. And scripture has an awful lot to say about it. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4 says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and favor. And a good name in the sight of God and man. There you go. Please God and please man with these attributes: love and faithfulness. Uh, on the other hand, a couple weeks ago, I made the statement that faithfulness won't always win you friends, right? And we saw this actually in Joseph's life as he brought back a faithful report uh, from his to his dad about his brothers. Uh, what was the effect? He was thrown in a pit. Sold as a slave. So do we have a contradiction here? Is scripture not right? Is Proverbs wrong on this? Well certainly we can't take the Proverbs and call them guarantees that in every season of life uh, faithfulness and love will absolutely guarantee you a good name. But we will find that in Joseph's life that this will be the general characterization as he continually uh, manifests these character traits that he will have a good name that His love and His faithfulness will manifest itself for Him in powerful ways. So for you and I, as we go through different seasons where even as we're being faithful to what we know in Scripture, we may encounter uh, circumstances that seem to contradict Scripture. But overall, the general characterization of our life, uh, I believe, will be consistent with this. And so we see in uh, Joseph's life that uh, overall, he will be respected in time. And we'll find that you can't keep a God-man down. The other thing I think you really have to admire is Joseph's tenacity here. Uh, Once upon a time, he's practically royalty, right? He's the favored son. He's given the important jobs. He's given an ornamented robe, which is sort of a symbol that he is, uh, that he's management, right? Not labor. And he goes out and he performs the tasks that dad has for him. And again, he gets him thrown in a pit and sold into slavery. Uh, And you know, he could simply take that um, experience and be in this position under Potiphar's uh, employment and say, you know what, walking with God, doing the right things, being faithful, got me nowhere. And he could see this position that he's in, I'm just a slave, I don't have anything important to do, how could God possibly use me here? And he could just see this as a mediocre time in life and put forward a mediocre effort, and just sort of wash his hands of it. Uh, But instead he doesn't. Even though he's been betrayed and demoted, he still seems to muster up his best effort. And God blesses him for it. And even though he is in captivity, we find out that, in fact, it is God's sovereignty that has brought him here to build him up as a leader and to place him strategically where God wants him. And so I think the challenge for you and I is simply this, uh, that we would consider, wherever it is that God has placed us, that we would consider ourselves an insider for God's program whatever it is that he's trying to accomplish. You may work among some of the godless people on the face of the earth in your job. You're an insider. You're a missionary for the Lord. And you have no, no idea how he might use you in that situation. Your responsibility is to continue to put forward your best effort and to be faithful and to show your Christian character as you work and as you serve. Consider yourself an insider. Now, well, Joseph does this, and he doesn't know ultimately what's going to be the outcome, uh, but he is faithful to do it. And the immediate outcome is simply this, that he becomes a trusted servant. Uh, and we're going to see just how trusted he is in the next set of verses here. Start, uh, follow along with me in verse 7. Now, Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants, Look, she said to them, This Hebrew has been brought to, uh, brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave that you brought us, notice the blame going on, you brought us, came to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, uh, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoner's we're confined. Poor Joseph. He's been betrayed by a cloak twice now, hasn't he? Uh, Joseph, zero. Coats, two. One got him thrown in a pit. And this one gets him thrown in prison. Uh, I want to show you how, just how trusted a servant, I think, Joseph actually becomes here. First of all, uh, he resists temptation, okay? And I, and I think this is actually fascinating. Uh, Joseph, I believe, he shows his integrity by guarding himself with truth, Okay? Let me think about that for a minute. He guards himself with truth. And here's, here's where I want you to see this. His refusal, the reasons for Joseph's refusal, would have been the reasons for another man to yield to temptation. Okay? So he rightly assesses things, and he, as he looks over the situation, he, says, he makes these five statements. I'm in charge. My master doesn't concern himself with anything. He's entrusted everything to me. No one is greater. Nothing has been withheld. Okay? But he takes those statements and says, therefore, I cannot do this thing. He guards himself with truthfulness. These are, these are the matters of fact. But he uses them to defend himself and not allow the enemy to take those and twist them and to tempt him to act. Another man might say something like this. No one will know. I'm entitled. I'm in charge. It's no big deal but instead he rightly assesses the situation and protects himself with truthfulness so that the enemy cannot use these observations against him. So how do you and I protect ourselves uh, and how do we guard ourselves with this kind of truthful perspective? When Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17, 17. He said, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. And Psalm 119, 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And I think as believers, it's just critically important that we would saturate ourselves with the Word of God because the Word of God is truth. And we will consistently need to be reading it, hearing it, memorizing it, discussing it, meditating on it so that we will form up a Christian mind that easily recognizes truth from error. And that's, that's the kind of thing that protected Joseph. I, I'm doing this with my son right now, my 8-year-old, Aiden. Uh, I take him to school a couple mornings a week. And so we have this habit. I've got a little verse pack in the dashboard of my truck, and uh, what I've done is I've gone through the book of Proverbs, and I've pulled out about 50 or so verses that I really want to impress upon him, that while while he's under my care, while I'm shepherding this little guy until he becomes an adult, that these are the things that I would pass on to him, that he would say, Boy, Dad just beat these into my head. That'd be great. I'd be really content with that. And so we go, we go into school in the morning and I pull out the verse. And we've got about four of them done this year. And I'll start with the first line, the first proverb. All hard work brings a profit. And he'll answer. But mere talk leads only to poverty. And we just keep clipping through. And so we've got a bunch of them done. And the point is I want these things in his head as he goes throughout his day. So that as he encounters the onslaught of whatever these kids would bring up and talk about and discuss, that his mind will be formed with truth. And he will know how to respond that these things would be transferred into the substance of his life, not just his mind. Uh, Another thing I I want to just observe here too is that uh, the battle to overcome temptation in our life starts there. It starts in our mind. The battle to overcome temptation always begins in the mind. The Apostle Paul cautions us that we are to take every thought captive. We don't allow our mind just to run away unchecked, unguarded by the truth of Scripture we take our thoughts captive and we bring them back under its scrutiny and say, how does this align with what I know to be true from the word? And there's a great quote, I don't know who said it, but it's this, if it isn't thinkable, it isn't doable. And so we protect ourselves by bringing our thoughts captive and harnessing them. And ultimately, I think we will see that weakness of character really stems from weakness of mind. We have allowed our mind uh, to be run away with. Romans 12.2 says this too. It says don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. So ultimately I think actually temptation will tend to assault us in one of uh, two categories more than anything else. I think it will tend to come to us either uh, in bodily appetites or in our emotions. Bodily appetites or in our emotions. I think that's where we're the weakest, that's where we're the most vulnerable, uh, that's where there is the less reason, uh, if you will. Think about this, for example, you've probably, all of us, probably all of us have watched a movie at one time or another, where there is enough uh, good music and scenery and a good enough story and enough humor and whatever, that by the end of the movie, uh, we're hoping that the main character makes a decision we know to be ungodly. You ever been there? You're watching a movie and, and, and you know ultimately uh, that this is wrong, but you've, your emotions have been sort of brought along through the course of the story that you're almost kind of hoping that they do the wrong thing. We're vulnerable at an emotional level. And we're vulnerable in our physical appetites as well. Uh, the body simply wants what it wants. But it is a, uh, it is a sharp and informed mind that protects us uh, from yielding to these things. Also something that was interesting to me as I was preparing this week is I I noticed the um the progression of the temptation. Did you see this? Did you catch it? First of all, you know, she just she just solicits him and she basically just out of flattery says come to bed with me. And so the first wave is sort of just surprising and probably flattering to him and whatever and and that's what it is. But then it seems to go into a second level of progression here. Then it becomes this long attrition. In fact, I, I did not remember this. When I read the story this week, I thought, I didn't, I, I, that surprises me. It says that she spoke to him day after day, day after day after day after day. And then the final wave was this ambush, for lack of a better word, where she actually laid hands on him and he had to run out of his cloak. So for you and I, a point of application I would challenge you to consider is this. I think it would be a very good idea with whomever it is that mentors you, uh, whomever you're accountable to, whoever disciples you, whoever has that trusted uh, leadership role in your life, that you would spend time talking over this question. What kind of temptation are you most vulnerable to? In other words, if you were going to fail or you were going to fall in some area, what would it be? What what an important thing to be known between you and someone who keeps you accountable in your walk with God. Uh, Let me give you sort of an illustration of this. Uh, Those of you who are homeowners, okay, uh, or, well, if you live in a home, you have to deal with this, okay? Someone's not taking care of your property for you. Winter time's coming, and you have to make preparations. And you go around, and you turn off any outside water you have, and you bleed the lines, and you check all of those vulnerable spots in your house. You, you check the seals around your doors and windows. Maybe you, you uh, do the cellophane hair dryer thing over. You, you wrap your windows. Okay? And uh, You do all these things to sort of protect and to safeguard your home for what you know will be uh, tough in a cold winter because your home will be exposed. And I'm simply encouraging that we would do the same thing in our lives. That we would look at those areas where we're vulnerable for adversity and testing. Identify them. And that we uh, we would I, we would talk about them with someone who keeps us accountable, and that we would keep a vigilant watch over them. I love Daniel one eight. I love Daniel's um, his action here, his course of action. It says that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and drink. So he, he knew what was coming his way. He identified it, and he made up his mind in advance. He wouldn't allow himself. Uh, to just have to make that decision in that spot, in that moment of temptation. He resolved in advance for how he would confront it. And ultimately here, Joseph Joseph runs from sin. He refused her. He refused to even be with her. And he ran right out of the cloak that she had in her hands. Uh, And what I think is fascinating about this is, though Joseph is a slave here, Okay? Even though he's been given lots of responsibility, though he is a slave, he has taken every liberty he has to distance himself from a dangerous situation. He refused to even be with her. And that was his, that was his attempt. And I think, what a great you rule for you and I. That we would not simply try to manage temptation in the moment that it occurs, but that we would distance ourselves from it as far as we can. That we would take every liberty that we have to remove it from us. I had a great friend of mine uh, back in Washington State, and uh, he had, uh, uh, was just an awesome believer. But he, before he had sort of turned his life around, he had uh, some years of wandering from the Lord for sure. And he had picked up some bad habits, and one of those habits during that time uh, was profanity. Uh, and for him, it was like a learned language, and it became his primary language. And those words just came right out of his mouth really quick, or to his mind. And as he started walking with the Lord, he really wanted to defeat that and, and sort of put it to rest. And so he did something uh, that I thought was absolutely awesome. He did two things. First of all, he went to his co-workers, and he, he worked on a job site. He went to his co-workers and said, listen, I'm trying, to be- I'm trying to break this habit. Would you help me by trying to refrain from this kind of language uh, when you're around me? How would that go over your, on your place of, of work? Uh, works pretty good around here, you know, for me, but uh, it might be different where you work. Um, even as he did this, it was interesting. He, he, he took his, his share of knocks, but ultimately he was respected for it on the job site. That he would say, I'm trying to, I'm trying to improve me. I'm trying to break this habit. Could you help me? Just asked for their help. They respected it. The second thing he did is he refused to watch any movie or listen to anything that had any language in it whatsoever because he wanted to break the, ha- the habit and he distanced himself from it as much as he could and ultimately had success from it. Um, Joseph ran from sin and he actually ran right out, uh, right out of the place. Most of the times, running is an act of cowardness. Here, it's an act of courage. He lays it all on the line to protect his integrity. And I want to say a couple things here too. You and I have resources when it comes to sin and temptation that Joseph himself didn't even have. Okay, Three of them particularly. One is we have a greater revelation. He didn't have the word of God to guide him. He didn't have as much laid out here in terms of what he was to do and not do. And one passage in particular that I think every Christian should memorize, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I'm going to read it so that I don't mess it up and look like a hypocrite. Uh, although I think I, could, I think I could cite it. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. When you are tempted, He will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I think I got it. Pretty close. Uh, Joseph didn't have that revelation. He, He didn't know that. Okay, but you and I know that God promises that when temptation comes along, all we have to do is look for the exit signs. And He'll provide a way out. And it's amazing how often, if you will stop and pause and do that, a visitor will show up. The phone will ring. That necessary interruption will occur. God will provide a way out if you'll look for it. And there's a great revelation that tells us that that's the case. So that's one thing we have. Another resource we have that he didn't is the cross. We live on this side of the cross. We know what Jesus has done for us. We know how grievous sin is and what it cost him to do away with it. And Titus 2.11 says this, The grace of God that brings salvation, has appeared to all men, it, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. So the great grace that we have received causes us to love greatly and to not want to sin and to not pursue those worldly passions. Joseph didn't know of that yet. The cross hadn't occurred. And finally, in Romans 8 9, we're told that we also have the Holy Spirit for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in us and gives us power for living that we don't have in and of ourselves. In fact, Romans eight nine says, However, you are controlled not by this sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. We have three resources Joseph didn't. So if he did well, how much more? How much more should you and I do? With these resources at our disposal that he himself did not have. Incidentally, too, just consider Joseph came from a dysfunctional family. And he didn't play the victim. Joseph and Daniel are one of are, are two men in Scripture, two of the only just aside from Jesus, two men, for which we're not really told of any sin in their life. I'm certain there was some, but they weren't characterized by it. They could have played the victim. Broken home, dysfunctional family. I've got issues. And he could have just lived in those. Instead, he did much, much better. Ultimately, I think we find here too that Joseph was rewarded with prison. And I'm not actually, I'm not being sarcastic here. Okay, but I'm, I'm not above that, but I'm not being sarcastic here. I actually believe that prison was a reward for Joseph. Okay? Uh, Mrs. Potiphar had accused him of, I don't know her first name, but she's accused him of attempted rape. Okay? And that's, that's the meaning of this phrase, to make sport of us. Uh, and this crime was punishable. It was a capital offense. It was punishable by death. And if there was any place you were going to receive a swift and judgmental execution of the law, it would have been in Potiphar's house. He's the captain of the guard. This is like assaulting the sheriff's wife. Okay, You're getting judgment. And he had at his disposal the ability to execute him on the spot. And he doesn't do it. In fact, in verse 20 we're told that Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. And then later on in chapter 40 we see that this prison, uh, uh, chapter 40 verses 2 and 3 tells us this prison is actually located on site. He he doesn't even remove him from the premises. He just takes him from the top floor down to the basement where the dungeon is. Look at verses 2 and 3. Pharaoh was angry with two of his officials. This is, I'm sorry, chapter 40. Pharaoh was angry, angry with two of his officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Prison was a reward. He could have been killed on the spot. Uh, I believe that Potiphar spared Joseph's life. I believe Potiphar didn't, didn't think Joseph was guilty of the crime. Uh, I would suggest that, first of all, Potiphar didn't uh, really trust his wife here. Uh, I think she says something to him, The slander that she sort of throws back, that Hebrew you brought here, that blame, that's an indicator. Uh, I think Joseph's proven trustworthiness, the text tells us that Potiphar concerned himself of nothing that Joseph was over. The fact that he's going to lose a competent servant here, And I think his knowledge that his wife lacked some character day after day this went on. Do you think he had no understanding of who she really was? And Ultimately we're told that his anger burned and I would assert that it didn't burn at Joseph. And the text does not say that it did. I believe it burned either at the situation he had left to deal with or at his wife. Uh, As I said earlier, consider he didn't execute him on the spot even though the the law gave him the right to do it. And he imprisoned Joseph on sight, not the way you treat someone who has assaulted your wife. Ultimately, I would argue that Joseph's integrity saved his life. I think had Joseph's character or his conduct or anything else about him been suspect or sort of shoddy, that uh, I think Potiphar would have had reason to distrust him and would have killed him. But he didn't. His integrity spared his life. And I would remind you of Proverbs 11.3. It says that the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Well, in the last section, we're going to see that not only was he a trusted servant, but his integrity showed that he was, that he could be, that he would be God's servant, ultimately. But while Joseph was there in prison... The Lord was with him. You just just can't put this guy down, can you? The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Once again, you can't put a God-man down, not even in the basement or the dungeon. Uh, What is consistent about Joseph uh, in, in all of these scenes here, and even back into chapter 37, is his faithfulness. His faithfulness to do that which he was entrusted with. His skill at which he performed it. And his integrity that characterized his efforts. And ultimately those things were infused with the Lord's blessing, the Lord's presence, the Lord's hand. And that allowed him to rise up on every headwind of adversity. I love what Derek Kidner says about him. He says, as a prisoner and as a governor, he was simply the same man. Isn't that good? That's integrity. And so I would ask you to consider your life. Are you a little bit different this morning than you will be tomorrow morning? You have your Sunday best on, your Sunday best attitude, your Sunday best countenance, your Sunday best language, your Sunday best behavior but tomorrow you will default to the other you? Do you behave one way in public and another in private? I would challenge you to consider yourself God's insider wherever you are. Whether you're unhappy about your place of employment, whether you work around people who don't love the Lord at all and are completely immoral, or whether you work upstairs here at the church, uh, that you would always consider yourself God's insider, that your best efforts, your integrity, uh, your faithfulness, your trustworthiness, infused with uh, God's presence and his power, would yield results you're not capable of on your own. Ultimately, Joseph's integrity shows that he's God's servant, and God would use him in greater ways than he could possibly fathom. Let's pray. Lord, while this seems to work out well for Joseph here, or at least those of us that know the end of the story, we know that it does. I'm sure there are days when Joseph looked at his life and absolutely despaired and said, my faithfulness is getting me nothing but thrown in a pit, sold as a slave, and thrown in prison. And yet, Lord, providentially, you were at work in each one of those steps His faithfulness and even the difficult consequences that that came from it were all a part of your training to put Him where you wanted Him. Father, may we be patient as we go through adversity in our life. May we be faithful. May we be skillful. May we do our best and trust your hand to infuse it with the power that it's needed to accomplish your purposes. And if they're great, then we'll rejoice. And if it's simply hard, we'll rejoice. We want to be your insiders and your servants. In Christ's name, amen.